And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let me hear your hands if you love Jesus today. We're continuing our series on a resilient church, what it means to be not just stable or sustainable, but to be resilient. And uh, as we get started this morning, I also want to say, you know, we don't often talk in here about the chapel service, but we're glad for all of you in the chapel and the support that you are to bring in, and we know you're there. Give it up, would you, this morning for all the chapel people? And we're also glad for those that are joining us online, various places in the U.S. and around the world, and also a big welcome to New Life Center that will be joining us in this series. So give it up for New Life Center this morning. I know this is corny, but I believe that God has called the church to thrive, not just survive. Well, that was wimpy. I said, I believe that God has called the church to thrive, not just survive. There's some days it may feel like survival, but God's ultimate goal is to thrive. When we talked about some things that aren't resilient that you have to get out of your life, nets, boats, bottles, and rags, and the changes that need to happen. And we talked last week about having an outward focus that a resilient church can't just focus on making everybody happy inside the walls. It's got to focus on reaching people that are outside the walls and that we'd live our lives in such a way that those who see us outside the walls would say, we want to know what's going on inside the walls. Let your good deeds be seen that people will glorify your Father in heaven. So the next component that I want to um, explore is a spirit of generosity, a church that's going to be resilient, be able to absorb the difficulties and challenges that come and then sail higher than that as a church that will understand what it means to be generous. And that's not just a New Testament concept. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10, the Bible says, give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. That sounds pretty New Testament, doesn't it? The Old Testament says, give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. God is saying that he will bless and prosper generous people. And we need to incorporate that into the very fabric of our lives and how the church functions. I was reading some quotes about misers that I, that I found to be a bit entertaining. Uh, one place said that misers starts the words miserable and misery. <laughs> this one's a little harsh. Said misers are kind people. They amass wealth for those who wish for their death. <laughs> Woo, that's a little rough. Never was a miser a brave soul. And we give Dutch people a hard time around here in Iowa. You know, if you're, if, you're not, uh, if you're not Dutch, you ain't much. I've heard that. And we talk about how tight Dutch people can be. How many have heard that? Oh, look at that, all around. Everyone who's heard of tulip time has heard that. But this is a Dutch proverb. This will tell you the heart of the Dutch people. The generous man enriches himself by giving. The miser hoards himself poor. The generous man enriches himself by giving. The miser hoards himself poor. And the best definition I found of a miser is someone who lives poor so he can die rich. Lives poor so he can die rich. Well, I thought that's kind of a negative way to start the service. We should probably talk about some things about generosity. And these are from a variety of sources. One person said, I found that among its other benefits, giving liberates the soul of the giver. Giving liberates the soul of the giver. People ask why we take offerings and give you an opportunity to give. It's not because... We need your resources, which we do need for the building of the kingdom, but it's because we love you enough to put you in a place where God can bless you. Always give, listen to this, always give without remembering and always receive without forgetting. Always give without remembering, always receive 
without forgetting. Giving does not only precede receiving, it's the reason for it. It is in giving that we receive. No one has ever become poor from giving. And this quote from Winston Churchill that's been used over and over again, we make a living by what we get, we make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get, we make a life by what we give. If a church is going to be resilient, it has to be a church that has a mindset of giving. And this may shock you, but this building has never given a dime to anybody. When I talk about the church, point at your neighbor and point at yourself. We're talking about us, right? The people that gather together here to worship God. The University of Notre Dame did a study called the Science of Generosity Project, and it defines generosity this way, the virtue of giving good things to others freely and abundantly. The vir- this is from Notre Dame. The virtue of giving good things to others freely and abundantly. When we think about this definition, three parts stand out clearly. Generosity is giving good things. Generosity is giving freely. And generosity is giving abundantly. Probably every pastor in the world knows what it's like to have someone give something to them that wasn't a good thing. Here, pastor, we couldn't eat this, so we thought we'd give it to you. <laughs> Happens, has happened not so much, um, never here at Berean, but it, <clears throat> but it has happened in other places where people give away what they would throw away. So when we think about the church and people in the church, there really are two important mindsets, the, the, the abundant mindset and the scarcity mindset. Now, what's really funny about this is as I was working on this message, praying about it, I was at the gym and I thought I'm going to listen to a podcast and I found a podcast that was called No Stupid Questions. I'm going to tell you there are stupid questions. So I thought, I want to listen to this podcast, which is a subset of another organization called Freakonomics. How many have heard Freakonomics? It's a subset of Freakonomics. And I looked through recent podcasts, and one was they they had talked about a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset, and it was fascinating listening to that discussion outside of religious Um, confines in a secular economic perspective and celebrating what happens when we're generous and what happens when we have an abundance mindset over a scarcity mindset. Scripture deals with it this way. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, that God wants us to be blessed by our giving. So think about this way. I want to ask you a question. How many of you know the joy of being generous. So, oh, I better, this is the one I do raise my hand on? Yes, this is the one you do. And how many of you wish that you could be more generous? Well, you can. And I'm gonna show you this morning a progression that I felt like God dropped in my heart on how to expand your generosity. Uh, We did it here and did it in um, Ames, but we did a, an outreach once called Random Acts of Generosity. And in one particular time, we gave everyone in the church a $10 bill and asked them to give it away to someone without talking about the church. So it wasn't a church promotion, just to experience generosity. Now, you won't get the same buzz from giving away someone else's money. But it's kind of like training wheels on the bike. There's something that happens. And we were in, I loved what happened. We were in Culver's and I get this weird idea sometimes about who I'm gonna talk to. And my wife knows that it is as likely for a snowman to exist in your front yard in July at 90 degrees as it is for me to walk by people without talking to them. When I walk into the campus in the morning, I have a great crisis of analysis. Do I say hi or not say hi? 
And because it's like, I, I'll feel bad if I don't. And looking at their face, I'm going to feel bad if I do. So there's a couple there. It's an older couple with two little boys, young boys. And I said to my wife, I'm going to go over and talk to them. And she said, I'll wait for you in the car. Because things tend to go crazy when I do stuff. I mean, imagine you're in a hamburger place and some guy walks up and asks if he can give money to your kids. How many are calling the police? So I just walked up and said, hey, our church, I thought I had the cushion a little bit. I was doing this, and I want to give each of your boys, it looks to me like grandparents and grandsons, I'd like to give them each a $5 bill. And they said, why? And so I had to explain a little bit more, and I had to talk them down before I could give the gift. Do you know, I get that in that context, but that's not an aberration. People assume when you're generous that you have an agenda. So why don't we give them something to talk about? Hello? Why not do something that is outside the norm for them and makes them wonder what's happening? So I'd like to help you expand your ability to be generous. And this may surprise you, but I think the first step, it requires an accurate inventory. You need to know what you do have before you plan on being generous. The Bible says this in Luke 14 about building a tower. For if the man who wants to build a tower doesn't count the cost and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him saying, the fellow began to build and was not able to finish. This study that I cited at Notre Dame on generosity said that generosity is proportionate to one's resources. So it's not contingent on possession of great wealth. It's contingent upon your resources. So you need to know what you do have before you start giving stuff away. We have abused that in faith circles. And I'm going to try to tear that down a little bit. I've heard it said all my life that if you give what you know you can give, that's not faith. That faith is giving beyond what you know you can give. And I'm going to tell you, I think that's ignorant. And I'll show you how we get there. It doesn't start. Anybody can give what they don't have. I was in a fundraising service where people are raising their hands to make pledges. And one guy raised his hand and said, I'll give $1,000. And everybody applauded. And it wasn't two minutes later, he stood, raised his hand again. He said, not only am I going to give the $1,000 this year that I pledged, I'm going to give the $1,000 I pledged last year and didn't give. There isn't anything wrong with taking inventory. Scripture tells you to take inventory. In fact, it's called budgeting. You need to know what you have. You need to know what your bills are because it is not God honoring for you to give to the work of the kingdom and not be able to pay your bills. Come on, help me now. I hope this will liberate somebody because we have so built a giving paradigm that's built around People giving into their poverty rather than giving into their abundance. And I'm going to show you how to get there. But it starts with taking an inventory of what you do have. Scarcity and abundance are real conditions. Paul writes about having much and he writes about having little. And in both of those, listen to me, he was in the will of God when he had prosperity and when he had poverty. He said, I have learned in abundance and And I have learned in poverty how to be content. So my contentment isn't in my money. And in charismatic circles, you know we've built an unspoken rule that if you're in the will of God, you will have a bunch of stuff. And if you don't have a bunch of stuff, then you're not in the will of God. And I'm telling you, there are times in your life that God wants you to walk in prosperity. But there are times in your life God wants you to walk in scarcity. Because you will not appreciate the blessing of God until you walk in the place where it isn't readily 
available, learning how to be. In fact, I'll tell you that most people can't learn to be generous in their abundance. They can learn to be generous in their scarcity because scarcity forces you to take inventory. It starts with taking inventory. Counting the cost is required. Jesus watched one day. I, I, let me ask this. How many of you want to be like Jesus? There's certain parts in the Bible I really want to be like Jesus. Like when he cleansed the temple and kicked stuff over. <laughs> and there was a day that Jesus watched what everybody put in the offering. That'd be hilarious. No, nobody else thinks that. I think it'd be hilarious that we'd pass the uh, bags again and, and we'd have one usher and I'd walk around with each usher and I'd see Tim put in the offering and say, let me see that chip. <laughs> really? Yes. He, he, and you're not giving anything today. Oh, you gave at the office. Okay, thank you. <laughs> now he didn't interact with them, but it's exactly what he did. He watched everything they gave. And there was a widow who gave just a little bit. And Jesus said that woman gave out of her poverty, she's given more than anyone else in this place because it's not measured by what you have, it's measured by what you have left and you don't know what you have left if you don't know what you had to start with. Take inventory. Scarcity and abundance are real things. Counting the cost is required. But I want you to think this morning about scarcity and abundance, not just as the reality, but as a mindset. There's a concept called zero-sum game. It's a, it's a theory of gameplay, and it's a theory of economics. And what that means is this. There are only a certain number of, of points or dollars or wins in a confined context. And so if you get 10 points and there's 100 points available, you get 10, that means somebody else doesn't get 10, and it means there's only, however you divide it up, there's only 100 points available. Does that make sense? Electoral college, limited number of electoral votes. If you get 10, someone else doesn't get 10. And it's amazing how people will play a game that has zero sum, a zero sum game because it's limited. There isn't anything outside that circle. It affects how you think. And many of us today are living in a zero sum life. We, we've counted the cost and we've come to believe that what we have is all there is. And for me to get a raise, someone else has to be docked because there's a limited number of resources. Is that making any sense at all? Let me illustrate it this way with something, I don't know where this came from. But I wanted to talk about pies. Now, how many of you know I like pie? Wow, that's all, where have you, have you been going somewhere else to church? What is, I, I love pies, I love all kinds of pies. I haven't quite, Pastor Nathan, gotten to raisin, sour cream raisin pie. I mean, it's, I, I'm trying to get there, but it's, I'm trying to figure that one out. Um, but most pies I like. And this is a beautiful pie. It's country apple. How many of you like country apple? Okay, so the rest of you can sit out in the foyer for a moment. And I take the people to raise their hand. And uh, stand up. Those of you that like country apple pie, stand up. Well, only one person in the balcony. Oh, no, we got a few in the balcony. All right. Now tell me, can I serve all of you with this pie? If someone wants to try it, sit down. <laughs> no, you can all be seated. You might maybe get a teaspoon out of this pie. But if I said this morning, I'm going to provide pies for everybody, I'm in a panic mode. Because way more came than I was expecting because I was only expecting eight, maybe 12. 
Carol said, how many pieces do you think you can get out of that pie? Maybe, who said one? I need an usher right over here. Maybe I can get 16. But if this is all I have and you're all here, I have a, I have a scarcity, a poverty mindset and I'm not even letting you know I have a pie. Because for me to give you a slice or all of you a bite means I don't get any pie. How many are hearing what I'm saying? A scarcity mindset is I can't serve all of you, so I'm gonna pretend like I don't have a pie because I want a slice and that's all there is. But if I have this, I have an abundance mindset. You can all have a pie and I get a whole pie. Actually, I might be thinking about freezing them and not bringing them all out, but that's a different problem. The difference is, it's not really, what I want you to see is scarcity, a scarcity mindset comes from zero-sum game, the zero-sum concept. This is all I have, this is all there is, and I have to defend what I have. But an abundance mindset says, I've got plenty, I've got a lot, and I can share what I have. See, I know what I have, I've taken inventory, but I have a mindset that says I'm going to share what I have because generosity isn't based on what you have. It's based on your mindset toward you, what you have and toward others. So what I'm trying to illustrate is you don't even know if you're being generous if you don't know what you have. But you need to also view what you have as what God has given you for the moment to steward and be a blessing to other people's lives. So the question is, do you know what you have? Do you have any idea what you have? Do you even know what's available? All right, how many are with me so far? Take inventory, do you know what you have? Second, generosity grows out of biblical stewardship. The Bible says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. <clears throat> That's our calling. Our treasures are laid up in heaven, not on earth. We're investing in the other side. So watch this. We are accountable to God for what we do with the resources he's entrusted. It doesn't matter if you have one pie or a 100 pies, God has called you to steward that in the parable of the talents. Think about this. He gave one five, he gave one two, and he gave one one. What did the um, householder or the boss expect? He expected that everyone he gave talents or money to would increase that. That they would expand their resources. The one who had five came back and said, sir, I not only have your five, but I gained another five. And the man who had two said, I not only protected your two, I brought back two more. And the one that had one said, I knew that you were hard and austere and you would expect something from me and I didn't want to lose the investment. So I buried it in the yard. And he said, give the one to the one who had, has 10 and throw him in outer darkness. Now listen to me, this is a serious matter. God expects you to grow what he's given you so you can invest it in the work of the kingdom. It's not enough to just try to maintain it. Does God want to prosper you? Absolutely he does. Does he want you to work hard it? Absolutely he does, because as we expand our resources, there's more we can give back to the husbandman. Foundational to stewardship is tithing. All the air just got sucked out of the room. You knew I'd get here, right? You can't talk about generosity without tithing. Got into a discussion with a professor talking to me about why tithing isn't for today, and I didn't argue with him then. I will, uh, after he doesn't have a club over my head, but I will have a discussion with him. Tithing wasn't under law. That's an ignorant statement to make. Tithing was before the law. We are children of Abraham. 
Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. If you're going to heaven, Abraham is your father of faith and Melchizedek is the lineage of your priesthood and Abraham paid tithes of everything that he had into Melchizedek. Then in the Old Testament, it showed them specifically how to tithe, how it should be handled. And in the New Testament, Jesus said, you tithe them in Annas and Cummins. You ought to do that and not leave the others undone. So it's foundational to tithe. What is a tithe? Someone said, well, I tithe 2%. That's like saying, I pay a fifth of my electric bill. That's not a tithe. I don't care what you call it. Let, can we just be honest with terms? Really, when you say I tithe, uh, I tithe two percent, you're saying I'm robbing God eight percent. Right. I, I just, I just need you to know this because I, 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 I just need you to know this. It'll help you. So people will say to me, "Well, Pastor, I can't. Um, I'm in a place. I took inventory, and I'm in a place." where I can't tithe. Now, this may surprise you, but I'm going to say two things. One, I believe that if you tithe, God will honor that and open the windows of heaven. But if you're not ready to trust him for that, then at least begin a strategy of stewardship to get there. If you say to God, God, I've gotten myself in a financial mess. And if I give 10% of my income, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I'm not going to be able to pay. I've done inventory and stewardship requires this, but I don't know how I'm going to do this. We'll start off with 2%, knowing you're going to get to 10 and watch him grow your faith. Because when you say, I can't give 10, that means you have a, a little bit of faith, but he's not going to trust you with true riches. He can't trust you with temporal gain. At least start a strategy. Become a steward. Develop a plan. Begin to move in that direction. It responds out of biblical stewardship. Luke 16. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And stewardship provides for generosity. I remember a young man had gotten himself in financial trouble. He was had some learning disabilities. He was attending our church and we're trying to help him. And he got, um, he got financial counseling from a, from a state financial counselor. So this wasn't faith-based. He met with the financial counselor who was not a Christian and said, what are your priorities for your money? What are your expenses? And he listed out his rent, his utilities. He didn't have a car, but groceries. And he put on there tithing. And she said, is that a value of yours? He said, yes, it is. I'm a Christian and I believe in tithing and I want to get there. And she said, non-Christian, if that's a value, then do it. And she put it as the first line item on his budget. Because there is something about stewardship and being faithful to your values that she saw as vital to his economic growth and development. I don't know why this keeps showing up on my, um, when, I, when I watch some things, but Peter Popoff and his miracle water. Have you seen that? That cheap little, it's a cheap little plastic container and if you drink the miracle water, great things are going to happen. People talk about getting jobs or dream house, all of that. Let me just say something to you. Stewardship isn't magic. It's not. Oh, give, and you're just going to have millions of dollars. No, at the start, stewardship hurts. It's painful because it's discipline. And no discipline seems pleasurable for the moment, but it reaps the everlasting reward of righteousness as you begin to grow and develop. No pain, no gain. It's really true in economics as well. You need to to become a biblical steward because it's only out of that that your generosity will grow. Now, third, so take inventory, become a steward, 
We're trying to get to generosity. How many are still with me? So third, it rests on, ready for this? this I've been waiting all morning to say this. It rests on the resourcer, not on the resources. It rests on the resourcers, not on the resources. The Bible tells us in James chapter one that God gives good gifts to those that ask him. God is described as generous. Godliness is being like God. God gives good gifts with abundance. So you ready now? Ready? I'm so excited. There are three mindsets. There's a scarcity mindset, there's an abundance mindset, and there is a supernatural mindset. So if I say to you, I have one pie, and this is all there is, I have a scarcity mindset. If I say, give me that slide again, I have a hundred pies, and I have a bunch of them that I can give out, then I have an abundance mindset. So what's a supernatural mindset? Doesn't matter how many pies I have, because I know the baker. Shout now, somebody. I know the baker. You see, if I have one pie or a hundred pies, you know what I have in my back pocket? I know Grandma Sharon. I know, come on, I know who makes the pies. And if I'm out of pies and I have a legitimate reason for pies, I can pick up the phone and call and say, Grandma Sharon, I need a bunch of pies for Saturday. And she'll probably say, you should have called me a week ago, but she will do everything she can to meet that goal. Are you hearing me this morning? I know how many pies I have, and I wanna be generous with my pies, but I know the one who makes the pies, and I have a direct line to that throne room, and I wanna have a supernatural mindset, not out of proportion to what I have, but knowing this is what I have. I'm ordering it in the right way, but I know I have a higher source. It rests in the resourcer, not in the resources. I know the baker. um, Fourth and last. Oh, no, no, I, I need to not skip this. Do you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? <laughs> what did Jesus tell them? They're going to faint along the way. We need to feed them. What do we have? What did they do first? They took inventory. What do you got? Five loaves and two fish. Now, this is my opinion. This is my opinion. But I'm pretty well convinced that with 5,000 people, there was more than one little boy who had lunch. But there was only one little boy who admit he had a lunch. Five loaves and two fish, but what are these among so many? Take inventory. Now be good stewards. What are we supposed to do with this? Start passing them out. And what happened? the resources showed up. Because when you take inventory and you, this is critical, and you're being not a fool, but a good steward of what you have in regard to biblical principles of stewardship, then you can count on the fact that the resourcer is there when you need his help. He's not there for people who aren't good stewards. He's not there financially for people who have no idea what they have. You're expected to know you got five talents and your goal is to turn them into 10. And when you have five and you turn them into 10, he says, enter into the joy of the Lord. I will supply for you. Because it's at that moment that generosity releases the flow of abundant blessing. Give, and it shall be given unto you. How many have heard that before? Well, generosity is so much more than your money. It's so much more than that. In fact, I got this weird idea this week that maybe I should read that verse in its context. Anybody ever thought of that? Like, not just read the verse, 
But what's before and after it? So I started to read it. Here's how that section starts. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now watch this. He's dealing with hard attitudes. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. He's saying you have no generosity of heart. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend it to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But here's where generosity is. Here's what he's talking about. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it shall be given to you. <clears throat> Do you hear anything about money in there? I don't hear anything about money in there. We've lifted that out and applied it to money. But it says, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it'll be measured to you again. Do you want to be loved abundantly? Then be generous with your love. Do you want to be overwhelmed with kindness? Then be generous with your kindness. It's talking about a generous lifestyle that doesn't just show up in putting some money into a, pro- into a, into a project, but is saying, I'm going to be generous with my life in all those areas of my life. So what is a sustainable church? Sustainable church has budgets, balance sheets, wise investments, wise transactions. They pay the bills. They have at least three months in savings to weather through storms. And I do believe it's important to make sure you have money before you give I don't believe in telling people to give what they don't know that they can do, but I do know this. When your one pie becomes a hundred pies, you can trust the resourcer. And I will tell you that if the resourcer, watch this, if the resourcer says, I want you to give more than you have, do you know why I can do that? Because I know the ovens are on. If I got a call from Sharon and said, I want you to give away 100 pies on Sunday, and I were to say, I don't have 100 pies. Do you know what I know when she says that? The dough's already made. The pies are already in the pan, and they're cooking in the oven. Are you hearing me right now? When God says, give beyond, you know what you have, you've been a good steward, you've developed that attitude, and you know that he is now gonna give you more than you have because he knows it will get through you. If I'm slobbering over one pie, she can't trust me with 100. Well, I knew this was gonna be fun. But the problem with sustainable church is it's boring. It lacks the supernatural. It only does what it can. It only gives what it has. It never listens to the resourcer. But a resilient church is not about self-preservation. The resilient church is all about divine engagement. But you cannot engage in the divine if you're not being faithful with what's in your hand. And when you're faithful with what's in your hand, then you can say, oh, God of heaven, I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm doing everything I can do. And if you'll show me and speak to me and give me more, I want to be a channel of your divine generosity that will bless the nations. And if you do that, you'll be blessed above all nations on the earth. God's blessing. How do you get to generosity? I want to go through it one more time. It means you take an accurate inventory. It means that you respond to biblical stewardship. It means that you trust in the resourcer, and you're ready to receive the flow of abundant blessing. Resiliency 
requires generosity. We had a family that attended, this is a previous pastorate, and they got so moved by the mission speaker. And they made a pledge to missions because give beyond what you know you can do. Give beyond that. I'm just saying to you, do you believe in that? Yes, I do, but I don't believe in that if you haven't heard from the boss. Have you heard from him? And are you being faithful with what you have? And so they made this huge monthly pledge and they started paying it. And they came into the office and they said, Pastor, we don't know what to do. But they didn't have insurance. And she had a cavity and it was hurting, going to turn to an abscess. And they didn't have money to pay that bill. They needed glasses, couldn't pay that bill. Needed a pair of shoes and couldn't buy the shoes. Said, what do we do? And I said, quit paying that missions pledge. You say, oh, you should never say that. Now watch, just watch. People say you can't outgive God. Oh, yes, you can. If you're given manipulatively or rebelliously, you can outgive God because he won't bless a manipulative giver that's trying to make him respond by what they give. Is anyone hearing me right now? It needs to be in the context that you're being faithful with what you have and you know what you can do and then you're listening for the one who makes the pies. And when you're willing for that to happen, so how are you gonna be generous? Some of you, have much more to be generous with than you think you have because you've never taken inventory. And some of you can't be generous because you're wasteful in your spending. Maybe you don't need a five bucks coffee, a Starbucks coffee every day. I'm not saying, I believe you can enjoy life, but I do think if you wanna be generous, you've got a plan to be generous. You have to decide that some things aren't going to me because I'm setting them aside so they can go for others. And then listen to the voice of the master and let it flow through you. I believe God wants to release a spirit of generosity because a generous church, a generous believer will hit a storm. But you know what they've done? They've already invested on the other side. And scripture tells us to be generous in our giving because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what challenges we will face. We don't know what the issues will be that may come our way. Ecclesiastes 11, one and two. Cast your bread on the water for after many days you'll find it again. Listen, give portions to seven, yes to eight. For you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. You don't hoard, you give. Cast your bread on the water and and you will find it again because you don't know what tomorrow holds. So let's be generous. Resiliency is generosity. Some of you I know just thought, I thought he was going to take an offering. No, I just, I, there are generous people here. But can you imagine what would happen if we all took inventory and determined to become biblical stewards so that we had money to be generous with and developed an attitude that we're generous with our attention, our time, our heart, our love, our interaction with others. God, give us a generous heart. And you can walk out of here and say, well, that didn't speak to me. But I'm telling you, you can do more than you're doing. You can give more than you're giving. And resiliency requires us to learn how to trust him by giving what he speaks to us to give. Amen? Can we stand together and just ask God to speak to our hearts about being generous in all that we do, in every part of our lives? This is my...
every parent, every grandparent knows what it means to lay aside some of your desires in order to be generous with your family. There was a period of time when someone with financial need would come in and ask for help that we would help them if they would let us create a budget for them. This pastor my first church, lady came in and she didn't have milk for her boy. Now that tugs at your heart, doesn't it? Everybody should have milk for their family. And I thought, well, all right. So we bought some groceries and then you've got to come in and do a budget. So she brought in some of her expenses and I noted that she was a, uh, she smoked cigarettes. And I said, how many, do you, how many cigarettes do you smoke? And so she told me how many, you know, I, it was, it was, she was smoked all the time. I said, you know, if we could cut your cigarette usage by 25%, you'd have more than enough to buy milk and eggs for your family. Let's start working that direction. She never came back because some people aren't willing to lay something aside to get something better. And really for us, that's the heart of generosity. I know whatever I give, he's gonna reward that. But he's not gonna help me be generous if I'm not a good steward of what I have. You have more to be generous with than you think you do. Let God burn that into us. So there's some flexibility and resiliency and ability to bless people on the outside. I've had times, and I don't do this often, and God has to speak to me clearly, where I've left a 50% tip. Some have left a 100% tip. Do you do that all the time? Of course not. But there are moments where the baker says, I want you to leave a pie, and I wanna be ready for that to happen. And that can only happen if you're practicing generosity as a way of life. God, speak to our hearts. Help us be a people of generosity that we're not just thinking about how much we need to survive, but how can we be more effective so that we can be a blessing to people around us and to your kingdom. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said, amen, amen. If you love him, let me hear your hands this morning. already had some people ask about this pie. I need a second service. If you touch that, I will find you. All right. Shake someone's hand and encourage them today.